What's up, Jay Brones? Live from Brooklyn, New York, and Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, this is the Torture Rack Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bass. My co-host is John F. Malta, and we are very happy to be here with you, our friends in wrestling. John, say something. Let the people know you're alive, pal. My hands are cut. My packages are packed. Torture Rack's out. I actually have bled a few times. Are you serious? Uh, you got pa- you got paper cuts? Shipping these orders out, yeah. Well, just from uh, like unraveling tape, like the uh, packing tape, serrated edge of a tape, a packing tape. I cut. I was bleeding from my hand like pretty profusely yesterday. But uh, this man literally has put his blood, his sweat, and presumably his tears into this magazine. Well, of course, when Naito won his uh, double gold championship, <laughs> I bawled. Me and Thomas cried and jumped up and down at the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, right? and they got it on camera. <laughs> I need to stress. I need to stress for listeners who maybe have not heard the episode in which we discussed John's Naito journey through New Japan Cup. When Naito won the belt from Okada on the second night of Wrestle Kingdom 13 in Osaka, Japan, in the Tokyo Dome. John and Thomas were there, and the first cut after Naito's pin cuts to John and Thomas in the audience. And I was looking for them the whole night, waiting for them, because I knew they were there. And it cuts to them right after John's, like, two-year journey of uh, of Gato booking has paid off in this triumphant moment. Yeah, it's truly insane. Huge thanks to everyone that DM'd me screenshots of it, because, I mean, I, I maybe would have been... I would have watched... Hoping to maybe see myself at some point, but yeah, it's how many DMs did you get with your screen with your with your face? Four or five. That's sick. That night. Oh, that's uh, sick. Yeah, it's cool. It, big thanks to all of those people for sending me that snap. Um, yeah, it's crazy, but truly, uh, thanks to everybody for picking up magazines, posters, T-shirts. Leaving reviews I, on the iTunes store. Yeah, Very we really nice. appreciate all of the support uh, that we've got for this project. Yes. If you, all orders, by the time this episode is posted, everyone who has ordered through Friday, July 24th, your packages will be in the mail and shipping. If you ordered after that, I'm going to try, if more orders come in this weekend after we record this, I'm going to try to pack them up too to kind of get everything sent out by the 27th. And then after that, they'll kind of just go out. Pretty much every Friday, okay, get them as they go in. But yeah, I, I I was buried in pre-orders for a while, and then I had to delay on the pocket reader, which is why uh, the, t- I the torture July rack bathroom 20- reader. Exactly. Sorry, I I, I, <laughs> I estimated July twentieth as a ship date. I think the real ship date was like July twenty third. Um, but I mean, that's still pretty burn pretty your close to burn the actual... these books when you get them, ladies and gentlemen, because <laughs> they're they're delayed three days plus whatever shipping times have. Listen, occurred. people don't order this stuff because they like your art. They they do it because they expect prompt delivery a la Jeff Bezos. Even if you have to send some sort of sentient shipping drone to their house. Well, this is all going out media mail, so definitely not Amazon <laughs> Prime over here. It's like a week, a week from whenever I shipped it is probably when it's showing up. This is why we are not trillionaires, and this is why you should support <laughs> us on Patreon. Uh, we have now finally launched the podcast, and it's actually cool to see... Uh, that people are actually listening and seeing people go back to our earlier episodes. I want to just say that uh, episode two is down right now. It's not because um, it is of terrible quality, although the audio is not as good as it is now, uh, but because we ran out of 
uh, room on our podcast platform, and we are currently in the process of migrating our podcast to a new RSS feed. Um, this is all to say that episode two will be restored at some point, um, but uh, I don't think you're missing that much. Personally. Do you remember what we talked about? It was, it was just like it was, it was Dynamite, right? It was Wednesday Night Wrestling. We talked about oh, yeah. Dynamite and NXT, and we got the... We, we basically went through, like, match by match, and we got the famous review from Thomas that was like, so is this what the podcast is going to be like from now on? <laughs> you're just breaking things down move for move. You're not going to give any commentary. So it's basically like the lost the lost episode. It's basically like Mario to the lost levels. Um, it was much harder than the first one, and it only launched in Japan. <laughs> Dude, just before this, I was watching Road Dog versus Al Snow. For the hardcore title on Monday Night Raw. And that match is actually really sick. What year is that? I don't know the year off the top of my head. I would guess 98 to 2000. Probably 1999. That was right in the midst right when I was really watching it religiously. Yeah, same. Me and my family were tuning in every week at that point. And <laughs> you and your WWE Raw, number one family program. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it's, it was actually that's the that. During the Attitude I mean, Era. We watched a lot of movies together too, but the main thing that all of us watched together for sure was Monday Night Raw and then whatever pay-per-view was happening every month, we always ordered it and watched it. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's cool to think back on uh, how much wrestling was a part of my life as a little kid. <laughs> uh, like to the point of, uh, I don't know, like have, when you were younger, did you ever... Like, did you ever try to do any sort of, like, wrestling, like, either with your friends or, like, backyard wrestling? It was very minimal. Like, it was, like, um, there's two experiences that I can sort of remember, which is one is just, like, being downstairs with your friends and, like, um, sort of walking into, like, your theme music. Mine was um, Smooth Criminal by Alien Ant Farm, <laughs> which I thought was, like, the coolest. And I think my wrestling name was Joey Bubats, which was uh, a very... Um, sensitive italian uh stereotype that was made by my brother on wwf no mercy um nice you could have been an fbi and ecw yeah totally uh and you know we would like do like i would i would suplex my small friends onto like the couch and the couch cushions (laughs) and stuff like that so there was that the only thing that was slightly more high key was that was my friend matt his father had changed their basement and put mattresses completely on the floor. So we would watch the wrestling downstairs and there was like an extra bedroom and it was just mattresses everywhere. So it became like basically like a wrestling ring. Um, but again, That's it was sick. like, I weighed like way more than Matt. So it was like, I would do moves on Matt. And then it was, it was basically like he was fighting Andre the giant or the great colleague or something. <laughs> like he might as so well. You were, the, you were the Haas in your basement I would, promotion. Yeah, I was like the Ishii basically. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a super junior he was like a young lion he didn't have a chance yeah it's wild to think how much wrestling permeated my upbringing because we i me and my little brother backyard wrestled also but in i guess maybe more in like a backyard sense what you described is very similar i guess maybe the one th- one difference for us was we would buy pie tins and other like <laughs> items at the grocery store and fake blood capsules 
And then you, that was mainly what like our most, most of our backyard wrestling between me and my little brother was, was. So it was just you and Juice Man hitting each other with pie tins. With pie, tin, pie tins and pipe, like longer, like the pie tin material, but pant baking sheets that are disposable, like metal and ones. And then just popping like Dracula capsules and then, on yeah, your really forehead. Yeah, really quickly. And my mom would film us doing this. So there's <laughs> video somewhere of this. Uh, I'm not sure. This is going um, on the Patreon as soon as we find it. Yeah, my, my my little brother said he would try to find it. I I only have photographs of it at this point. But yeah, I, I remember, very distinctly remember, like me and my little brother running around our backyard, like around our jungle gym, hitting each other with pie tins. And then kind of, I think the only moves we ever tried to do on each other were like, maybe I would suplex him, like try to do a suplex and like it wouldn't work. Throw it out, it turned into like a DDT or something. But he was, he's five years younger than me and he was way smaller than me. I was yeah. probably 12. He was seven. So the size disparity was huge. Um, in terms of entrance music, there was only one CD we ever used. And I think we, you and I have talked about this album was this before. Was like the WWF Attitude? WWF Aggression. Aggression. The, uh, yes. The, um, yeah, the, the rap rock album produced by <laughs> wwf was, was and, lincoln park on it no because it I, I think it was that was it kind of came up before for their time i think before um, Roland. yeah it, it was a little bit it was i think a little bit before because that to me is like 2000 era oh it came up released march 21st 2000 charted number eight on the u.s billboard 200 holy shit and see no dude peanut butter wolf is on this i did not know that i have no Uh, idea who that is (laughs) charisma and peanut butter wolf really stone throw records listen is icp on there no but i have to make you a playlist after this but uh please don't (laughs) it's icp i think you're gonna regret saying that um (laughs) no uh, wow that was like vaguely threatening you were like, you'll live to regret that, Basque. It's true, man, dude. Stone Throw Records is sick. Um, but anyways, Old Dirty Bastards on this. Run DMC, Cool Keith, Redman, Mystical. That's like a very of the time. Oh, Ice T. I love Mystical. Yeah, my. <laughs> you love Mystical, ass. but don't know who. People Watch are yourself. With this. Shake your ass. I don't Show think you can call yourself with. a fan of rap if you feel that way. <laughs> Excuse me. He had two big hits off that. There was like Shake Your Ass, and then there was like. I keep bouncing out against the wall. <laughs> that was a great, I lo- I lo- was a great I, song. To be clear, I love Mystical. But, Listen, I'm a, new, uh, I'm a fan of New Orleans, okay? Anyways, my entrance music was <laughs> <laughs> D-Generation X, The Kings and Rebels by Run DMC. Always. That's my favorite track on that album, actually. I've never thought a Run DMC like rap rock song was good, so I need to hear this one. That song was catchy to me as a 12-year-old. So We'll, we'll put a drop in here right now of that song. Yeah, brief five second. Yeah. Uh, John, give me a five seconds of silence for that drop. But anyways, you know, great, great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, dude, the other question, the one other thing I was thinking about, uh, you know, and all of this sort of came from the the uh, Butcher Blade Young Bucks match, which we'll eventually talk about later. But uh, just thinking about uh, backyard wrestling and hardcore wrestling and how much i love that as a kid one one other thing i had wondered for you is have you ever seen the documentary the backyard no it's a it's it, it kind of follows 
backyard wrestling um, in the U.S., U.K., and various other spots around the world. I think mostly in the U.S., though. Okay. And specifically follows this wrestler, The Lizard, who is an incredible personality. <laughs> is he a and sp- also a Spider-Man villain? No. He, But he is a very, very sick... Sorry. Back- Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> backyard wrestler um and it's funny the first match on that documentary is very similar to what me and my brother experienced where our mom would film with a camera and me and my little brother would hit each other with pie tins except <laughs> in this documentary like the dudes that are wrestling each other are wrapping things with barbed wire they're throwing down a real backyard death match it's like a six stages of hell match or something like that where they dig they dug a hole put barbed wire in it it's in the like nevada desert or arizona desert and yeah they like they dig a hole put like a wood board over it light the board on fire there's barbed wire they throw each other through it their mom is like encouraging all of this is this what so, your hat is about the barbed wire no that the the torture act hat is in reference the the specific um that phrasing is in reference to the Great Muda versus Great Nita deathmatch, which right. I'll eventually have you watch. I'm surprised that I haven't let made you, had, not made you, but had you watch it in our class and match segment. <laughs> I love how uh, every week you say made you and then you correct yourself <laughs> as if you're like, oh, <clears throat> I mean. <laughs> Excuse me, we have a segment where we watch classic matches where you will watch an exploding board barbed wire current blast death match starring Great Muda and Great Nita. Are there but any scythes in this match? There is, yeah. I actually oh, right wow. now I'm working on a uh <laughs> I was joking. <laughs> I'm working on a prop that's in reference to that. Wow. Okay, for us, uh, for the <laughs> listeners, which is everybody, uh, <laughs> John is holding a medium-sized scythe, which is actually pretty dope, with a long green chain that is wrapping around his neck. Um, that's actually dope. I'm gonna photograph. I'm gonna photograph the torture rack shirt wearing this. Oh uh, yes, for the magazine. Yeah, um, or for the so website. I'll do that. I think we're gonna, we're gonna do that on a roof tomorrow. But anyways, that the the that match. The backyard, uh, at the beginning of the backyard, our, like that match is like a true, de- these are true backyard matches, true death matches. And I feel like our, it's very representative of what me and my little brother did, except ours was kind of maybe like the kid version or like the right. safer TV Sesame Street version of these <laughs> like death, <laughs> death matches that are truly happening. You know you, how you'd always like turn on to Sesame Street and like Big Bird would like be just like slamming Oscar the Grouch with his own garbage can and Oscar would just be eating those blood capsules and it's like, oh, I think uh, Oscar's <laughs> rupturing in the in the stomach because it's coming out of his mouth. Um, you know, Sesame Street. Um, so sorry, John would respond, but he's like <laughs> apparently dying laughing without laughing. It's like it's all staying, staying in his face. He's becoming red in the face. But uh, he'll be back in a second. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna die. Um, yes, I I remember thinking like that might be a possibility for us at some point. Like me and my friends, like someone might build a ring in this backyard if we yeah. don't stop doing this. And mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm glad we 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 stopped before we got to that point. Like but before someone time, got like injured or paralyzed. Yeah, but at the same time, I kind of wish I had done that and just become like a heel wrestler. Um, still got time. Be a manager. Yeah, I really want to be a heel manager. So if anyone's looking for a heel manager, give me a ring. Give me a ring a ding. Well, we should definitely watch that. Uh, that should be like a, watch, a me, you, Thomas watch, uh, the backyard. Um, 
We should do uh we should do a Patreon only like live stream where we watch it on Zoom. Oh, watch along? Yeah, yeah. I have the DVD here. Totally. Um it's great. Yeah, it, it it's it came out in 2002 and yeah, it's it's just such a it's a it's a cool like observation of a wrestler trying to make it on the backyard scene that wants to be in the WWE and they actually follow the lizard as he goes through tryouts for the WWE within this documentary so very cool if you've not seen it and you're listening no. to this you should for sure check it out and i've heard of you, this we now, should definitely watch now it together. that you've said that yeah that sounds very interesting i'd love to watch that yeah and because there's gotta know, be yeah, like just... one out of like every hundred thousand of those guys got like made a big break right like it's not a great number. yeah i mean i guess now there's more like cur- currently like rather than wrestling in your friend's backyard which definitely still happens i feel like now like there's a lot of indie promotions totally. like defy and gcw and icw where like there are legit promotions that are like paying people and doing a lot of cool stuff totally. with uh different performers so speaking of gcw just wanted to drop this in we're actually watching uh the two-part gcw homecoming homecoming part one tonight uh we're recording this on saturday um so we're watching that tonight and we're watching part two tomorrow and that'll be on the next episode on the next episode yeah. of Torture Act. And there's like a little Can't clip. wait to Ooh, I like that. Can't wait can't wait to watch. Yeah. That's, we should that should do be that. A, that we'll, should be a segment or drop yeah, at the end. We'll sure. do it on the next episode and we'll just assume what we're like what we've t- we're talking about. Like, dude, can you believe that that guy got hit by that bus <laughs> in GCW? <laughs> My god. Oh, yeah, that's not even like a that big of an exaggeration. Yeah, dude, I'm fucking psyched. Every time we watch GCW, there's something something new that we something new that we've not seen before and it's just something like completely noteworthy that needs to be shared and joe janela wrestling uh the champion in ddt right now is going to be insane totally man i'm i'm smart i think actually my my friend who i keep trying to get to watch uh dynamite yesterday sent me a clip of alex zane from i don't know which promotion i don't think it was gcw but um hitting the ropes and coming off and doing like a 450 splash over the top ropes and like landing on somebody on the ground who was like on a table Ooh, that might be from the backyard one. If it was, if, if the person looked like Tony Deppin, uh, because that spot, that's a spot that was shared a lot and is like pretty popular. Oh, it from might actually be from the backyard, backyard one. Yeah. When we did our first indie supercard with Thomas, I had put that match on our supercard, but then it, it, uh, it was taken down off of YouTube. It was a free match for a while, okay. but anyways, yeah, that spot, that's that, that, that spot is insane. Yeah. And dude, I finally also went back and watched some 2KW Phenom. Which, for those of you that have gone back oh. and listened to episode one, <laughs> is the promotion I couldn't remember the name of that took place on New York City's playgrounds. And did you watch that video, the short video I sent you of it? It's like five minutes. It's okay if you didn't. I, I, just, I did not, no. For context, would want to know. There is like actual, like there's so many, like it's so cool and I forgot how good it actually is. Like there are people doing 450 splashes off monkey bars, <laughs> sling blades onto concrete, springboard drop kicks off of park benches. Yeah, because like just crazy. They're on Arihara horror moon salts off the top of top of jungle gyms. Yeah, it's like like in, it's in a, like a kid's like playground. Yes, they are legitimately in a children's playground, throwing down like sick ma- sick matches that look like the highlight reel looks like something. Yeah, like for, it's like pre GCW. I'd be curious to know if anyone involved in GCW I like was involved with that. It kind of looks like something off, similar of, East Coast. Uh, off of Sesame Street, you know, when Grover has got Elmo <laughs> in like a camel clutch and Elmo's like 
going for the ropes and his face is going red, but they're at the top of a slide. I mean, Sesame Street Deathmatch is pretty pretty sick. Uh, you know what? They got the Muppets doing fucking everything right now. I had to watch the goddamn Muppets tell me to put a Facebook camera on my... Yeah, that's, so that's, Mark Zuckerberg could watch me at every fucking day of the week. And, well, I'm not even going to tell you what he's doing. But, uh... <laughs> so they've got the Muppets chilling for Facebook, like, selling your data... So I'm sure the Muppets, I could get the Muppets to, like, do some death matches. So is this the co-branded event of the century? GCW presents Sesame Street? Oh, my God. GC- Nick Gage and... <laughs> GCW on... Oh, oh. <laughs> GCW on the street. Nick Gage versus Big Fucking Bird. <laughs> Dude, I love it. I, I wish you were laughing out loud because only I can tell how much you're enjoying this like it's just silence yeah. on the on the mic <laughs> but like you're dude it's really it's so hard to get me to genuinely like laugh out loud laugh to where i can't control myself no to where i just can't control myself and like you're it's we gotta we gotta stop doing this bit or this show's just gonna be me silently <laughs> it's gonna be me silently oh listening to you do nick gage versus just big versus bird. big bird he's got him in like a fucking boston crab and his legs are just so fucking long. He's just bending. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, all right. Well, st- <laughs> you're dying. All right. Let's get into dynamite. Let's get into dynamite, man. Um, speaking of like Nick Rhodes and like tough guys, um, it was a Cody Rhodes open challenge for the TNT title. And who showed up? But someone I didn't know uh, that John could tell you a little bit more about called Eddie Kingston, who made a one hell of a debut. Uh, John, can you talk a little bit about him? Yeah, this dude's been grinding away in the indies for a long time. The last time that I, the, the last match that I've actually seen of his was at WrestleCon Super Show 2019 WrestleMania weekend. Uh, the show opened, maybe it was the show opener. I think so. But anyways, that doesn't matter. He fought Masato Tanaka oh. uh, in a one-on-one match, and it fucking ruled. And dude, yeah, I mean, I'm, a lot of people listening to this probably are familiar with the Masato Tanaka and like awesome matches. And this, it's you know. Eddie Kingston at the end of that match, <clears throat> and this speaks to how good his promo was on Dynamite. Uh, at the end of that match, he cuts a promo talking about how much respect he has for Masato Tanaka, how much that match meant to him to be able to finally wrestle him in a singles match, and it was really cool to see that there and to see like such a genuine promo uh, and show of respect, similar to like when Suzuki bowed to Liger after their match uh, last year at King of Pro Wrestling. I, yeah, I just love he, the sort of like the reverence that he has and that a lot of performers have uh, for the, their the history of wrestling, the history yeah. of the sport. Well, and he lost to Cody. No spoilers necessary, I don't think. But and he we'll talk about his opening promo, but like his like post-match promo, he was like Cody was the better man. You know what I mean? Like he 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 talks a, like a really big game, but he's. He's a different kind of heel than like MJF and Jericho. Like he has yep. hu- he has humility, uh, but he's also just like scary. Like when he comes in, he drops like a fucking pipe bomb. Like when he comes into, I love how frantic it seems because we get the there's the opener with Jr. Tony and everybody seems very like wired and on and ready to produce this show. Like yeah. at at one point during the show. 
uh, JR exclaims Tope Suicida. Like, he, someone says Tope, and he finishes with Suicida. Like, oh, tag team like an X and JR. Yeah, that was yeah. during this match. That was awesome. The the minimal crowd that there must be there sounded lit. Yes, uh, and then Kingston, he kind of, like, almost... I don't want to say stumbles, but kind of just, like, frantically stomps onto the yeah. stage and starts cutting a promo. And it's a really good promo. He's like, he's like, oh, Cody, oh, like, I talked to your best friend, Tony Khan, <laughs> and he, I asked him if we could do a hardcore match, and he said, oh, that's fine, as long as you check with Cody! <laughs> and, like, just, like, really, like, roast him and just being, like, you're a company boy and, like... He's like, oh, your grandfather was a plumber? Like, he's like, I am a plumber! He didn't, <laughs> he didn't say that, but, you know. And they were really putting over, you know, I think on commentary, Tony was like, you know, this guy had to sell his boots during quarantine to, like, yeah. pay his rent and stuff. So there was very much a sense of him being an actual underdog, whereas Cody is, like, the pretend underdog that he created for himself, that, like, grandson of a plumber, like, yeah, that he's like not from wrestling, di- a wrestling dynasty. Yeah, even though his thing starts yeah. with wrestling has more than one royal family. It's like he can't decide whether he's an underdog or like the lord of. Well, wrestling. pre pre AEW, that's like the the sort of like crux of his heel character is that he is like cutting those promos, but then he also is like a shitty heel that does push ups ringside with Brandy, which is why it really does seem like they're doing a very slow build heel turn on Cody that I think is going to last over like the next year. Yes. I, I yeah. You, you think it's going to last a long time? Like that, that, that I honestly, that it'll take that long to get to him I, being like a true heel. I don't know, man. I really feel like, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I, I was going to say, I feel like he's going to be TNT champion longer than Mox is going to be uh aw champion but i don't know i do think that you know how we were talking about putting the four horsemen together i think if that happens it won't have cody in it yeah that's an interesting thought i guess that makes sense because that's like the uh the red herring would be cody since he has Arn, right uh we think four horsemen obviously has to be cody because he has Arn, but that's kind of an also like when thinking about it actually being implemented that's sort of a boring choice and it's like, well, we know Arn and that history. Why not let Arn do something different too? Why does he have to be a part of it? And that would be the only reason that I would think to like um, make the Cody heel turn happen a little faster. Because it's clear that that's happening soon. And by the way, we're always wrong. So I'm probably wrong about this. We were like, there's no way evil's going to Dude, happen. Sonata is winning. Forget yeah, it. Fucking Throw your brackets out if Sonata's not the champ, yeah. the, the Intercontinental champ by and fall. Then, and Naito's going to beat him, and Naito's going to have a nice long <laughs> title reign. Anyway. Anyways, so. circling back to Eddie Kingston. Dude, just the, in the same way he just right out of the gate cuts that promo, before the bell rings, he attacks Cody, throws him out of the ring, rips his shirt off, throws down like true like hard strong style new japan like street fight chops yeah you know what those chops could do man i watched chris van vliet take like 20 chops from um what's his name tyler tyler breeze oh yeah yes prince pretty Mm -hmm. um prince pretty and um my boy sean spears have a wrestling gym that they they teach and them and their classmates give gave Chris Van Vliet each like two chops mm-hmm. and his chest and he's like a pretty built guy. His chest is absolutely ripped up at the end. It's disgusting. Dang. So yes, I do know what those chops can do. Not first hand. Well, I was going to say 
they can crumble a marble statue. <laughs> Sorry, I gave this like whole long. <laughs> like, oh, you must be talking about the Chris Van Vliet thing that I watched, and you're like, well, who the fuck is Chris Van Vliet? Yeah, like, nah, dude. Just that I do a callback to uh, a <laughs> thing you pointed out that I've reused a few times. Uh, but yeah, I, this, this... I like it. It's like your vernacular. It's like JR's, like whatever the fuck <laughs> JR says. Uh, yeah, this whole this this is one of my. Th- can you think of a debut that was as good as this apart from Moxley? And Moxley, you know, that's that was a surprise. That was insane. The catapulted AEW forward. I have there's not been a debut that was as good as this in my opinion. Apart from Moxley's. Uh Brian Cage's was pretty good in that match. He ripped it out. It up, was good, but, but I don't cut, think it was as explosive. Well, he didn't cut a promo and neither did uh Archer cuz both of those guys have like mouthpieces and Taz and Jake the Snake. As someone who just came out and spoke for themselves, um, interesting. I guess that yeah, their their uh, debuts are more calculated in that way. Yeah, like with Taz and Jake. But no, I mean like this when this when he came on the show, I was like, if they don't sign this guy, they're idiots. Like if you're gonna sign Michael Nakazawa and QT Marshall, and you're not gonna sign Eddie Kingston, who I I I really feel like they are they've already signed him. They're, yeah, they're putting over how broke he is and stuff. I don't think you would do that if like. <laughs> <laughs> then okay go back to the indies see, All right, yeah. see you later have fun <laughs> hope you don't sell those boots they're nice yeah he know. i yeah to I, me it was I, like I, a drake maverick sort of thing like uh oh yes yes uh, drake maverick in the cruiserweight tournament that promo yeah. that he cut was like similar to drake maverick but in like an angry way mm-hmm. like he's like this is all i have like this is what i do. oh that was his sorry that was his end promo like after he lost to cody he sounded like drake maverick but like more uh like a little tougher obviously obviously he wasn't crying or anything but he had that same kind of like this is what i do like i'm not gonna stop just because i lose like I, and by he's like you never lose you always learn that is he's a really a, great line he's and... a really good heel he is different than all the heels who are like unredeemable he's not unredeemable but he is like a dangerous guy yeah he's like an anti-hero like he's like he, an anti-establishment he, yeah. he i think he has the potential to be to be pretty huge to be a champion in AEW for sure. Absolutely. And Imagine Kingston versus um, Lance Archer. Yeah. Kingston versus Archer. Kingston versus Mox would be insane. Uh, totally. Yeah. That, that, that match. And just I know, like in the, in uh recent mo- in the past like month or two, we've been pretty critical of um, Cody's matches. This is, because they're overbooked, not because we dislike his matches. I, I no, personally I find am a big when, fan of Cody. When the matches play out from front to back, they're usually actually... How awesome. good was this match? This is one of, I I would say maybe is my f- favorite or second favorite. Maybe favorite, just kind of based off of the different like things we talked about at the start of this podcast with being so into backyard wrestling. To see thumbtacks brought out totally. in a match... He power bombs Cody into him. There's been a couple matches that had like really high energy over the last little bit. I think about the Wardlow Luchasaurus Lumberjack match. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Um, what you said. Obviously there's a whole other breed of just the backstage brawls. There was one in this episode that we're gonna get to in a second, Young Bucks first pushing the blade. There was like the, the concourse brawl they had before Stadium Stampede that we thought nothing could get crazier than this when Sammy Guevara got hit with the golf cart and stuff. Um, and there's been just some great straight wrestling matches like FTR versus, you know, um, Butcher and Butcher Blade, and Blade uh, FTR versus Jungle Lucha Boy versus Bro. MJF. Yeah. But 
this was one yeah this was definitely i would say one of the best matches of of the year for dynamite for sure the chop that kingston gives cody just before the powerbomb too it's insane cody coming up with uh tacks in his boots in his back in his forehead that was for me like the one of the images of the year um for his title reign like more so than his like way overdone bleeding in his first match with jungle boy but just like yes the physical reality of how much that must have hurt and the over yeah the like a lot of in a lot of the previous matches like that it's like that spot i felt was overbooked in that match but yeah this is just incredible man and i don't know i i want to see way more eddie kingston i think this is my favorite my favorite title defense in AEW for the year so far. I called him poor MJF and I would love to see him in a feud with MJF as well. Oh my like, gosh. Yeah. Just like they're both such talkers. They're both such shit heels when they are on the mic, but they come from just completely different backgrounds and like, oh man, just, yeah. To me, like Eddie Kingston has like a CM Punk kind of energy where he's like almost like outside of the show. Like Cody, mm-hmm. like I said, like he kind of like pulls back the veneer of Cody as being right. like kind of a company man. Um, so he just has a realness to him that is, is contrasted by a lot of, even the, even the, the tough guys, even so like someone like Lance Archer, who is like super tough, but also has like long red hair and looks like he's like, like a monster. Archer is like a monster character. Yes. Yeah. And Kingston feels like someone extrapolated from like breaking bad or something where it's like, yeah. this guy is real and he's dangerous. You're out of your mind. If you don't think he's real. And he is dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Again, yeah. even like someone like Mox, like I always kind of, I, I, you know, I see Mox kind of playing the part a little bit. Yes. You know? Yeah, totally. And you know who I didn't ever see playing the part was uh, Stone Cold. Like mm. when I first, that's a good, it's a good uh, dude. When I first saw his podcast reason or comparison. Yeah. Yeah. When I first saw Stone Cold's podcast and he was just talking like a normal person, I was like, holy shit. Because even the stuff I'd seen, like him, like talking to CM Punk, he always had that He's character. He's always like yelling. Yeah. Well, not even just yelling, but just that menace. He just has like uh-huh. a, a quiet menace. Like he will kick your ass. Like being in the, in a room with him, if he was mad at you, would be scary. And um, I just thought that was Steve Austin. And like. Not at all, man. Yeah. This podcast. Yeah. It's like. Uh, He's just like, hey, how you doing, man? It's me, Steve Austin. You know, listening to your uncle talk about the L.A. traffic. Uh, is what the start of his podcast always remind me of. It's like just check check in <laughs> check in with my uncle that lives in LA. Uh. <laughs> Great, yeah. Um, Young Bucks Anyways. versus Butcher and the Blade. Like I love this. It's wow. started in an actual like, like butcher shop. Butcher shop, like kind of like and then backstage restaurant area. They're cutting they're cutting meat. Butcher's cutting meat. Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson come in. They decide to have a false call, count anywhere match. Um, yeah, just absolutely sick. Matt Jackson straight up backflipped off the wall, which was amazing. Yeah, it's cool to see because they did that match against each other on being the elite where they fought all around the Bucks compound. Right. And that it's cool. Like that that match was actually really good. And I feel like like the groundwork for this. And yeah, this match is partly why I went back and watched the Al Snow versus Road Dog hardcore title defense. That that title defense for some reason always stuck out to me i think because i loved road dog and i loved al snow so My, seeing the two converge and fight each other backstage and it, it happens backstage mostly at the end the end it's the one where he pile drives al snow onto a uh pallet in the snow oh amazing i know you've seen this because it's from wrestlemania 17 but i always bring it up as like one of my favorite hardcore matches ever which was 
I want to say Kane, Raven, Big Show. Oh, yeah. Yes. I want to say it's those three. Um, look that up for me, will you, John? I, I can hear your fingers on the keyboard. Why don't you just uh, give me a little Google on that? Yep. Kane versus Big Show versus Raven, hardcore title Never match. doubt yourself. Never, ever doubt yourself. But yeah, this match was great. It was really cool. It starts in the back. I love that they did that double super kick and it sent Blade up the escalator. That was awesome. And then throw, throw Butcher down on the uh, the folding table outside and then a uh, kind of like jumping leg drop with a baking tin, which that thing that's maybe why I art my backyard days with my little brother has been on my mind. Totally. The baking sheet definitely. It's the like, baking wow, sheet was like, evocative. Yeah. Yeah. There, uh, there's a YouTube video that keeps popping up in my suggestions that I haven't watched. And it's called Why There Will Never Be Another Show Like WWF Raw. And... The reason that I just have not watched this because I'm like, well, there is already. It's called Dynamite. Like, right. This yeah. is like vintage attitude. It's got all the vintage attitude era stuff you could possibly want. Like from the first episode where Moxley is like, you know, DDTing Kenny Omega through a glass table in the backstage and like all that sweet stuff with like Cody V Jericho punching the glass in and chasing them through the owner's box and stuff. Like, oh, yeah. All yeah. the Concord stuff like they've just done so much great backstage stuff they've they've taken advantage so much of the uh covid era by like just exploring that huge stadium and all that stuff as much as they could um but yeah yeah i gotta think like if you're someone i can't imagine people listening to this aren't already watching dynamite but if you're someone that is a person that is like no i don't want wrestling anymore because it was really good in the attitude era and it's not anymore it's like you have to be out of your mind if that is your mindset still with this and New Japan and GCW and everything else that exists in the world today. Like, I'm so happy to be an adult right now in this time frame rather than an adult during the added. Like, I'm glad I got to experience totally. that today as a teenager. Like we said, there's but... so much less sexism, homophobia, the work rate so much higher. Like, there's so much great access to, like, Japanese wrestling with, like, English commentary. Yeah. Uh, diff just so many different promotions. So much more visibility for indie promotions. And we have the ability to just go back and watch this, like, great history of, like, Ring of Honor matches and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, that we've never watched with, like, Brian Danielson. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, um, totally. Yeah. But, yeah, this match, this match just, the, them coming back in like i like that i don't know if you guys if in canada you guys did you have a commercial drop after blade went up the escalator yeah and then when it came back they were in ring they basically put on two matches okay yeah we didn't right. see them we didn't see them come back into the arena but i like that the second half of the match took place in the arena butcher and blade continued to be one of my absolute favorite tag teams in AEW. I do think that they should be ta tag team champions at some point. Honestly, they like pretty I, much have carried this division through COVID. I was a little bit, uh, not back and forth on them, but like, I wasn't sure. Like I thought their, their gimmick was a little weird, like with the monocle and stuff. That's the thing I mean about like playing tough guys. Like if you look yeah. tough and you have like a monocle and a twisty mustache, like you look more <laughs> like a hipster, um, like a character. Yeah. And then especially when they're wearing their, like their national gears with just like all white, uh, they look like they should be like baristas at like a Vancouver. Dude, they look like droogs. You and JR keep slamming them. JR keeps <laughs> saying they look like they work in a bakery. In Portland? Yeah. In no, the... they look like droogs from A Clockwork Orange. They Sometimes they do and sometimes they look like they're in the National. It's just like there's different 
There was one time I agreed with you. It was when they were sitting ringside. and They had like two caps on. Yeah. 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 That's like, anyway. But seeing them in the backstage, like chopping meat and stuff. And also, yeah, their match quality has just, just been thrown down. Has been yeah. so high. Ha- now having uh, FTR as like a, like a complimentary old school tag team. It's easy to see how good they are. I think. Um, after Dude, the- them, the spot in that, sorry, I keep trying to move on, but that, do you think it was like, I don't know, just the, the amount of spots that happened in the last part of this match. I feel like it's one of my, I don't know. It's like such a good tag match and just, I don't know, like, Blade trying to do that like Tope Senton and then completely missing the table, followed by Butcher spearing oh Matt God. Jackson I through the about table. That. I totally it's forgot just like about... yeah. just like spot after spot after spot after spot. It, Honestly, so, this, this it was, was such a good match. This was my match of the night. And every time there's a really great dynamite, I try to get my friends who don't watch wrestling. I'm like, hey, if you want to check one out, like, you know, this is a good one. I texted my friend, I was like, you have to watch this last dynamite. Like, it's so good. Like, front to back, because, like, after this, Lance Archer just, like, ran amok in the backstage. Oh, my God. I was like, where he throws a person up into the little Throwing rafters. people into, like, into, like, ceiling tiles and just, like, putting people in the garbage and stuff. Just, just, yeah, like, just being a, a huge monster. And... Do you remember that old WWF commercial where, like, Stone Cold's walking through the, like, offices at Titan Tower? there's like explosions and like someone gets thrown out the window no but i want to watch this i'll have to try to find it for you but uh i'm sure it'll be immediately google or found on youtube uh yeah that that commercial uh this that this spot had the energy of that commercial where it's like just random chaos is happening backstage and i like that we're to believe that lance archer just walks around backstage doing that yes like joey janela and sunny kiss are just hanging out have it having it like you know backstage they look over and lance archer's throwing someone in a trash can you do not want to be in gorilla position when lance archer is about to have a match because <laughs> he will just grab you and beat the shit out of you on his way down to the to the ring um but yeah see, see him run amok yeah like i like this these characters i really like what, it. Do you, what do you think lance archer does next i mean right now we're just seeing him destroy a bunch of people brian cage is kind of like hovering around moxley still with uh and now kind of feuding with darby who does Archer feud with next? Because he lost to Cody, so he's probably not going there to the TNT title. He could be fighting Mox. Would love that. I know it's weird to like lose in your TNT and then go up to the thing, but if he won some matches, he could climb the rankings. Um, you know, it's, I find it interesting, too, just the way that they're doing that, because the various people who are winning on Dark, like, it kind of like Scorpio sky has to be pretty close to being in number one contendership for something. I think the rankings so he's winning are, singles matches on dark. I'm not certain about this, John, but I, I have a sneaking suspicion that the matches are ranked, not just in their wins and losses, but like who you're fighting. Like if you're like matters more, you mean? Yeah. I feel like if like I beat, if Scorpio sky beat like, um, I don't know, Delph Boy Deltano on um, Dark, <laughs> and then Lance Archer beat like Chris Jericho. I'm pretty sure Lance Archer's ranked higher because it's like a more significant opponent. I I Tony Khan's like a stats guy, so I bet there's something about like the ranking. Like big of, wins move the meter more. I think maybe there is a ranking of that person that has their win loss level. Like there's like a calculation of that. So let's say Moxley is like plus 75 
and like archers like plus 68 or something like that and then the the you know nakazawa is like minus 86 so it's like mm. if you beat that guy you don't get as much of a point bump as you you would if you beat like the top guy i suspect there's something in there uh tony khan being a numbers guy but uh i don't know so you're saying hangman defeating five that's not going to move the meter that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, it gives him a win, obviously, and his win-loss record looks better. But, yeah, I just feel like there's some... there's It's not just win-loss record. Because there have been multiple teams that have similar lo- win-loss records. But, like, one of them is, is above the other one. So I think it's, like, the amount of fights you're doing, but also, are you fighting a jobber or, like, a main title contender? But, again, I don't know if this is true. Kind I'm of circling just... back to the Four Horsemen question. So you think... Four Horsemen is Hangman, MJF, and FTR, or Hangman, Spears, and FTR? Man, I don't know. They're like they're clearly playing this game with us. That we're like if it's to... not Cody involved, which I don't think he. Now that we're taught, we've ta- talked about it a little bit more. I think he's he's on the out. Also. Well, yeah, I, on on Squared Circle there was that thing. It was like so were were Cody and Spears both red herrings for MJF? Mm-hmm. Hell, maybe they're not going to do four horsemen. Maybe they'll do five horsemen. I don't know. I just know that that kind of stable with that kind of iconography is going to exist. You know what I mean? Yes. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be called the four horsemen. I should have been more clear about that. But although I do suspect that it will have the horsemen iconography. name in it. Yeah. yeah. Or iconography, at least. Yeah. What was the uh, what was the main event? Main event was Jericho Hager versus Jurassic Express. Right. And I don't know. Yeah, it's, I think like, I don't, it wasn't the greatest match and it, it seemed, it felt like the match that was at the turn of the hour was the match of the night. And then the last match was like, I've been, I've been saying this for like three weeks now. I've been saying this since you're right. I know I argued with you at first, but yeah, I I think that that's that, that, that you were correct. And you know, the only reason this was in the main event basically is because Sammy Guevara's back. Yeah, which was a weird. Re- I would say it was a weird reveal for him, like go- like leaving because of like being suspended for like you know you know stuff he said a while back, but absolutely disgusting stuff. Um, and then coming back as like a mask reveal a month later. It's kind of a weird. I don't know. Like you think it would have been better to come back, but not necessarily acknowledge. I don't know, yeah. I think it would be better if it was like, next week, Sammy Guevara's back in action. Mm, I see, yeah. I don't know. That's just me. But yeah, this match, I I don't know. I think Chris Jericho is slotted perfectly, like, in the way that he is wrestling with Orange Cassidy, with Jungle Boy. He's being used, and he's on commentary. Like, like for everyone that, like, comments online like LOL TNA anytime that there's like a new WWE wrestler that's potentially going to AEW. Like if you look at all of the, the W the like WWE guys or whatever that have been added to the roster, they're all being used in such great ways. Like we talked to this, and like Jericho's not like, Oh yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, we talked about this before, but Jericho is literally the only one that you can make an argument for in that sense, because he's the only person you could say is on like the, maybe the like, end of his career like the downswing it was always these guys who were like at the end of their career going to tna like hogan right fucking uh randy savage and rick flair and all these dudes that was tna and also just like kind of the rejects like they're getting the top slight they're getting people that vince mcmahon wants to use desperately he wants to use jericho he wants to use 
Dean Ambrose, aka John Moxley. So it's and, and it's like young people like Sean Spears who who still have that like the top of their career ahead of them versus like it's already happened for like Kurt Angle. Um, right. Yeah. He's not Kevin Nash power bombing the X division. He and totally. to that to that point and to in thinking about that, that is why I feel like this is not terribly slotted and like it, that they're fine where they are because Jericho is in the main event, but like he isn't just destroying Jurassic Express. Like if anything, Jericho has looked the weakest in these past few matches he's had. And maybe, you know, they're not like five star work rate matches, this match or the match with Orange Cassidy, but both Orange Cassidy and Jurassic Express looked great fighting Chris Jericho. It's like, oh, these are those are the people I'm supposed to be paying attention to. And there's that guy that I know and love from and still do know and love. I, but you know I'll incur the wrath of Thomas on this, I know, but I just I'm I'm just not buying this as the main event feud of, of these episodes. I don't know. Just Jericho Cassidy, like I like it. I don't know. I, and now I, now that it's I, continued I, to I next like, week, I the five lo- on five. I like it. I want to be clear that I like it. I love Cassidy. I love Jericho. I love Lucha. Like I, I love Jungle Boy. Marco Stunt is around, you know? And uh Yeah, I like it. It's just I don't know. I like after these huge bangers that just goes to this match and I'm like, this feels like the top of the hour match. And we care a lot about booking and like how like card placement and stuff and it like if you see two incredible matches in the first like hour, like it kind of like runs your batteries a little bit. So if you get to the end and there's just kind of like a pretty good match, it like I don't know, it makes the episode feel a little bit less satisfying. But I can agree with that. But that being said, stoked for the five on five yes, next week. Absolutely. So John, we watched something else this week, and that was the horror show at Extreme Rules. Just to make it really hard to say any of the matches are taking place at the horror show at Extreme Rules. Yeah, it was I don't know. I love it. I love WWE's women's division, but yeah, overall, I feel like every time we have watched since we started recording this podcast and during the COVID era, in the way that every time we've watched GCW, we walk away feeling like I can't believe I just saw that. I seen something that I've never seen before. Yeah. Every time we've watched a WWE show throughout this era, I have felt like, why are we watching this? I don't think I want to watch this anymore. But then like some sick matches will happen, like Asuka versus Sasha. And it's like, oh, okay, well, this is what I'm here for, basically, because their women's division is sick. They do kill it, and they have a lot of good talent. I mean, they have a lot of good talent in general, obviously, the WWE. But I don't know. Yeah, the eye for an eye match, I absolutely hated every minute of it. I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, I I can't believe Meltzer rated it four stars. That is a, honestly a travesty. That is honestly fucked up how m- many matches like from the New Japan Cup that he rated like a little bit less than that, that were so much better. Um, like I don't put a ton of, like I, I like Meltzer and I like seeing his ratings, but it's not like, it's like my Bible for how I enjoy matches, but there are very, there there's, this is the first instance ever where I've seen a rating and I've been like, are you kidding? Are you kidding me? How is that match four stars? Well, number one, we do our own ratings, So we have our own Bible True. of ratings. I gave it an F <laughs> and I stand by it. I gave it a C minus. I thought it was a fine match for a little bit. And then, whole ending stretch turned me off so much and just seth like throwing up and everything and knowing that they wanted to do cgi and then vince thought it looked bad so they 
didn't just like why did you guys do this so stupid also you made the absolute best comment uh right before the match started when like seth came in you were like what happened like what happened to seth like he used to look really cool that jacket looks like it's from forever 21 <laughs> it's like so true it does so yeah. true um man i i feel like wwe it's it's kind of like if your dad started a rock band and he was like doesn't this look cool like this is pretty cool and like it's like no you look like an like an idiot dad um that's kind of like that's like the right talking about wwe in general or seth rollins gear that's like the writers of wwe like what they think is cool and what they think is funny it's just like a dad's rock and roll opinion yeah it's very true and just i don't know just that that match specifically like it's impossible to believe that a human wants to tear another human's eye out even going to like yeah, that's some it. of the most believable most believable or most real people like eddie kingston he wants to fuck you up but he doesn't want to tear your actual eyeball out of your head well like, it's also just like a failure to understand like the world that like you've created like yes that's um, a good point that's what's so annoying about the attitude era or about the um covid era right now is just like when they have stuff like the ninjas and like yeah like seth rollins like he was the face of the company like six months ago. I get he's like a heel now and he's arrogant, but he doesn't want to like kill Rey Mysterio. You know, and in the first issue of Torture Act, when I first started this magazine, I was watching WWE every week and that that was, the year was 2018 and that year Rollins threw, threw down a sick, like it was Raw open with a one hour long gauntlet mm-hmm. where Seth just wrestled people and that's all it was yeah. and it was awesome. Like, th- I feel like this story would work in a world like the Lucha Underground that we had watched. Absolutely. Like, like they have, like, let's say you have a guy like Eddie Kingston, right? In mm-hmm. this world. And then that, uh, who's the, what's the boss's name in Lucha Underground? Uh, Thomas is losing his mind right now. Uh... <laughs> I want to say like Eddie Cuervo, but that's just me saying Eddie Kingston's name. I don't know. Um, look it up look it up look it up up, up. his office dario quinto yeah quinto so quinto dario quinto right or whatever his fucking name is he says to eddie kingston he's like listen i'll give you a million dollars if you can take out my arch nemesis pentagon jr's eye and eddie kingston's like oh i know i'm a hard fucking guy but this is crazy like i don't want to do it and he's like man like you gotta do it for your family like you had to sell your boots like a million dollars that would be a good story in yes. that kind of world. Like he would be grossed out by doing it, but there's a reason. But he has like to do having, it. Having this any semblance of a reason why someone would remove the eye of another human being. Well, the idea was that it was like a, a payback, right? Because like he had done it. For to, what? He, he had done it to Ray already. Like he already, What do you mean? He blinded one of Ray's eyes already. Ray's been, Ray's been like blinded by one. Of, that's why when he took out his second eye, it's like now he's got no eyes. I don't like that, that reason <laughs> is terrible. It was, you haven't been know, watching man. weekly WWE and neither have I, but I watched the recaps. But even that that reason going into it, yeah, just I, I didn't care about every move that happened before. Like he they're doing like handsprings off the ropes and other punching but, each other. It's like this is culminating in one of your eyes being removed. I don't know. I'm out. I, know, I, I I don't I don't like any of these cinematic things that they're doing. You know what I like about AEW and like we were talking about the stats earlier and like who's going to be facing who is like even when it's like, oh, we're putting these jobbers to like 
bust your rating up and we're booking these matches. There's a reason for it. As a viewer, you can get invested and you're not going to like be hit with like a, just a weird thing happening for no like reason. Yeah. Um, whereas when you're a WWE fan, literally after a pay-per-view, I always watch like the recap of the raw afterwards. Cause I'm like, okay, someone's going to come out and, cha- and challenge the, the champion. And that's, that's just who is going to be in the program. And we're going to find out like the next episode. And it, and you know, I like Dolph Ziggler as a wrestler. Obviously he's way past his prime. He's never going to win the WWE championship. Like it's just not going to happen at this point. So I don't find him a good opponent for Drew McIntyre. Cause it's just so obvious. Um, but yeah, you just have to like, you go, oh, okay, I guess it's Ziggler now. They're going to push Ziggler for some but reason. Meanwhile, that he, match I actually really enjoyed. Like that was I really one enjoyed of the it matches. too, but you have like Alistair Black and Andrade and all these people on the roster. And you're just pushing this guy who was main eventing pay-per-views like 12 years ago. And not like in a, you're the, one of the best ever Takahashi, Tanahashi kind of way. You know what I mean? So, and they're just not using like Ricochet and like all these people who are absolutely incredible. And it's the whims of Vince McMahon, who he feels like pushing. Like, it's not like because they've been booked for the last year strong and they've been winning these matches and they win a number of contendership match and it all builds. Like, it's just like who they feel like putting up. Like Randy Orton's probably going to take the title from Drew McIntyre, not because we want to see it, but because then they can do Randy Orton versus edge for the title at WrestleMania 37. Like you're, we're probably getting that. And Drew McIntyre doesn't deserve to lose the title. And there's no reason for it other than the fact that they just want to like make that match a little bit bigger. How do you, how do you top the greatest wrestling match ever? I don't know. Make it for the title, I guess. At WrestleMania. Yeah, that's true. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, overall the matches that were wrestling matches, I really enjoyed. And like, yep. like Drew McIntyre, Dolph Ziggler, Asuka, Sasha, and Nikki Bailey Nikki cross Bailey, all three of those really enjoyed watching them. They were there. It's like, I did open this by saying we walk away feeling like I walk away feeling like why am I watching this? I don't think I'm going to watch it anymore. And then I see the matches like those three. It's like, Oh, this is why I'm watching. And then you see Wyatt versus Strowman, which is WWE presents true blood in John's uh, verbiage. I, yeah, I don't watch. I mean, I I actually watched all of true blood and enjoyed it, but like, (laughs) (laughs) um, like the uh the the first season of that's like a sleeper horror hit but uh anyways the uh yeah that the, i can't believe we watched all of that and it just remind it's just like shitty amc i don't know yeah if, i don't want to talk anymore about that match I'm, or that I'm good. match that i'm that uh i'm good with this pay-per-view being done like let's move on to that uh MGW. that specific match we don't need to mention beyond just it being not good or not even match i'm, just I'm, not something I'm tired I of people anymore. lowering their expectations to like liking shit like this like yeah. i'm tired of it and i don't want to expend any more energy being negative so moving on to road to sengoku lore which i did not watch but john did Yes, and it it was great. It was classic Road Two show. Like you asked if you should watch it. There's not, there wasn't any um any standout huge standout matches where it's like, dude, you got to go back and watch this match. Was there Takahashi but, versus Evil? Did that happen? Yes, yes. Takahashi versus Evil happened in the main event. Sorry, of this I didn't night. need to jump ahead. No worries. Uh, but yeah, it, it, overall, it, it was a really fun watch. Uh, it's interesting. New Japan's in an interesting place right now. Because of the people that they have access to, I feel like they, it's a limited roster at this moment. Yeah, totally. It's like they, 
Let's, have let's talk about who's on, not there right now. Well, they have on... It's like the roster that they have is like the current Super Mario for Switch, but the roster that's present is like Super Mario from Nintendo 64. <laughs> so it's like, oh, you have those classic guys and a couple new dudes, but what about all the other sick people that are on your roster? Jay White. Uh, um, Will Osprey. Osprey. Um, G.O.D., uh, Kenta. Kenta. Um, there's a whole list of them that were in the that were supposed to be in the New Japan Cup. Yes. Anyway, they're not coming to me off that. Oh, Juice Juice Robinson. How could we forget Juice? Robinson. Juice, Juice. I actually really do miss a lot. He would. Yeah. He, I feel like he really was uh, coming into his own. Just the, winning the uh, U- uh, U.S. title. We're, we're, oh, U.S. title and World Tag League at the end of last year, and then starting feuding with Oh Finn Juice. Yeah, uh, him and Finley starting to feud with Tanahashi and Ibushi at New Japan Road, but that got cut short because of uh, uh, COVID. So um, maybe I maybe didn't get cut short because of COVID. It did happen. Oh, you know what? I wonder. There was some tag never, stuff that happened. Never on, doubt uh, yourself. I guess that's true. <laughs> oh, keep plowing ahead. But anyways, yeah, I feel like it's a, they're in an interesting spot because right now they're building to Okada versus Yujiro. Who's Yujiro? Exactly. Uh, Yujiro is the Tokyo pimp. Oh. that's He's like the ancillary Bullet Club guy that... Um, was it in Okada's match with Evil that he came in and gave him like a Death Valley driver? Does he have that guy. Peter? Yes, he's got the bunny. Okay. So that guy is who is in a singles match with Okada mm-hmm. at Sengoku Lord. What do you think of that? I don't know this guy very much. I know I know Peter. She's called Muffin Ass. I can't even think of like who to compare it, pair it to. Like I do, I I'm definitely all for like giving someone a chance and seeing what they can do. Because since I've watched New Japan, he's been used as kind of just like he's been used in the way that his valet has been used, which is basically just they're there as part of Bullet Club. Are you telling me this is a main event or this is just a match? Not the main event of Sengoku Lord, which is actually in the middle of the night tonight, uh, is Hiromu versus Evil. Oh, that's happening tonight. Okay. Or... So, Hiromu versus Evil, Okada versus Yujiro, and Shingo versus Desperado. Okay. Those are the three. Those are the three main I, sort of. I really like, want to see Shingo Desperado. That's going to be really good. Yeah, they had that Sonata and Shingo faced off against Desperado and Doki in this, uh, in this row two, and it was, it was solid. Uh, I just yeah, it's weird. I, the the match that Okada was in on this road to it's Okada and Goto versus Yujiro and Gato. G- and Gato, get him out of the ring. Yeah, get that man out of the ring. He's a valet. Oh, crucial thing that I didn't mention to you. Guess who is not injured? Who is not injured? Yeah, who's who's actually did there? We we actually said that it, we read that it could be career ending, but it's not. And oh, he's back yo, and he wrestled. Sh- yeah, he's Yoshihashi. Yeah, that's awesome. Who did he fight? He's he's he, he Yoshihashi Ishii Yano and uh, Sho face off against Makabe Taguchi, Gabriel Kidd, and Hanma. Ah, uh, that's and awesome. In a, in a great like mixed tag, this mixed tag actually was one of my favorites of all of the road two, just because Yoshihashi is back, starts the match out against Big Match Taguchi. <laughs> they go at each other for a while, and yeah, it's it's great, and it's so cool that he's back, and he had such a good match. Uh, in the New Japan Cup, that was sadly, you know, cut short. His, 
I guess, you know, Evil was always going to beat him, but maybe he would have had a cool match with Evil also. Honestly, I think that the it, it actually gave the match previous a lot more weight. So, like, because... That he wrestled through it? Yeah. yeah, and in that match with Evil, if it had been career-ending, that would have been an amazing way to go out, just, like, refusing to tap, basically, until, like, you're just completely broken. Um, but I'm so glad he's not out, and, you know, he just tries so hard. <laughs> So the last two matches of this road to huge mixed tag Suzuki Goon versus Tanahashi Ibushi, Master Wato and Yuji Nagata. I have no idea what's going on with Master Wato, but this was great because we got more Nagata versus Suzuki. So if you want more of that, this was worth going back and watching. Kind of feels like they're going to continue their feud a little bit. John, why don't, uh, why don't I like the tag team matches? I think because they progress story and don't focus on work rate. I don't think that's true because like there is good work rate in them. And like, I'm just not in, but not, but not, I don't, but not to your standard, not to your enjoyment. I don't think there, yes, there, there worked. There is moves that happen within those matches, but there's not bit. There's not often very big spots. A lot of these mixed tags feature heel tactics where there's a lot of outside of the ring brawling inside of the ring brawling. They're more subdued and not as high octane as like a singles match or even a two on uh, a normal tag match. I think both to give the performers some time to sort of not blow out, you know, all of their muscles while they're wrestling weekly. And also, you know, not everything can be just like a huge, crazy five-star Tokyo Dome match. Yeah. I think that that to me is the reason why you maybe don't like the road twos as much because you're not getting these big spot fests, like not. I don't. I don't feel like I have to watch those matches when they happen. I think it's just because a lot of these events are really long, and I just want to watch like three hours of wrestling, and so I want to just see the matches that I suspect will be bangers. You know what's similar? It's similar to actually the road two shows are very similar to AEW Dark, which you also do not enjoy. It's not just the road two though. It's like whenever we watch a a card if there's like a couple six man tags to start i'll skip those but the six man tags are like where tiger mask is featured yuji nagata a lot of the tenzan a lot of the historical i guess maybe that's what it is because it's like from watching new japan long enough now and researching it more learning more about the history of it and like appreciating the history of it more not that you don't appreciate the history of it but like to see those people who were luminaries of New Japan of Pro Resso over the last like 20 years in matches still is incredible. Like to see like a 55 year old dude still doing his thing. Well, I throwing I, sick matches down. Like, I loved that in the cup. Like when, yeah, like Nagata Suzuki Nagata was Suzuki. one of our favorite matches. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think Kevin Kelly mentioned on commentary that they're both 52. Uh, I think it's the storytelling in the match itself. It's not the, it's you're talking about how it tells, it progresses storylines of like, the thing and i don't feel like it tells great stories within the match i don't think it's work rate so i think there is great work rate when like ibushi and tanahashi and zack saber jr are like running around true i think it's just the the stories of the matches feel fragmented because it's just a bunch of like clashes happening and i don't know it's it's not in that crazy way where you have to watch the tag the crazy tag team matches in like aw that are like the spot fests and stuff uh but maybe to your point like you said there aren't big spots maybe that's part of it too i don't know 
Yeah. And I don't know. I, I just think that that, I do feel like that that might be a part of it is that I, I guess, yeah, when I, when I'm meeting work rate, I guess I'm more so kind of like think when I, when I say that, I kind of think jump to like Osprey versus Hiromu or, you know, Okada Omega or something, you know, these, I know, but banger I don't, don't want to make it matches. seem like I only like the best. Like I'm out here watching all these goddamn <laughs> matches. I'm giving them high ratings. I like this shit. Dangerous techers are the tag champs now. And if there was one thing that Tai Chi did not need, it was a belt to carry out with him along with everything else that he already <laughs> has to carry. <laughs> he got to carry a fucking tune if he could learn that goddamn song. Where do you think the belt is? Like on his, where is he Where is he carrying or wearing the belt? I don't know. Maybe like a Chewbacca kind of like belt like slung across his chest diagonally. That, that's a good guess. That would, it would be easy to hold the mic and make sure he's got his claw and his robes but he has it but but wrong (laughs) once yeah it's it's wrong uh one strap is tucked into his pants so then like the main placard like hangs here and then the belt dangles between his legs oh jesus christ like a cock so the yeah (laughs) so that is between his legs while he's like trying to like like, walk out and like barely pretending that he's mouthing the words sing with his bike Wearing his mask, wearing his cape, holding his iron claw. This dude's got to lose, but... lose a couple gimmicks. <laughs> he led Suzuki Goon out, though. He he was the first one out, and then CSJ, Kenamaro, and Suzuki followed. So I wonder if we are going to get Taichi Goon instead. Uh, I can't. I actually legitimately can see him taking the Intercontinental title off of. Well, I guess now Evil. Um, I think he'll be the Intercontinental champion within the next year. Uh, that but, seems like the yeah, right, right move for him. This match ended and everyone left except Suzuki and Nagata, who just kept punching each other. <laughs> and they just kept fighting, even though the match was still going. And then eventually they leave. And the main event of this night was Evil Ishimori and Dick Togo versus Naito, Hiromu, and Bushi. I almost had a heart attack at the start. As Holy Hiromu gosh. comes out, Z- jacket zipped up, he looks upset, he looks angry. Unzips, is wearing a Bullet Club shirt. To play mind games with evil, and then he punches evil, and then <laughs> they kind of brawl. Dude, Dick Togo was in a WWE faction. Was he? What WWE faction do you think he was in? Uh, Lay's. Un- it's not go- the oddities. Lay's it was un- Kai. Lay's un- <laughs> Ungovernables de Miami. <laughs> no, he's in Kai and Tai. <laughs> what? Kaintai was just Funaki and Takamichinoku, wasn't it? On commentary, Kevin Kelly. No, there was multiple. Because remember uh, when they did that whole feud with Val Venus? There was a there was quite a few people in the faction. <laughs> well, Mark, don't you remember the classic Val Venus Kaintai feud? <laughs> yeah, that was like a. I feel like from the Attitude Era. You don't remember that? No, man. Really? They chop off his dick in that. Holy shit! Okay. You don't remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. Now that you're saying it, seems like you remember that. But there was like a, quite a few, <laughs> quite a few people in the faction at that point. Dick Togo was one of the people in Kaintai. Well, I was gonna say the oddities, because uh, yeah, like he's like John. He's not John Tenta as Golga. Because uh, my man Robert Maye lives in the in the region Kurgan, and recently Mick Foley uh, shouted out Kurgan on on Twitter. It was hilarious. He basically tight. said that. Have you ever seen EC3 and Kurgan in the same room? He's like, they're the same person. 
god. And I've really seen funny. I've seen uh Kurgan recently at a uh Black Lives Matter rally here in the city and uh he does not look like EC3, but he is fucking huge and jacked. That's cool. Yeah. Evil looks great flanked by Ishimori and Dick Togo, I will say. Circling back to what we started, what we were talking about. <laughs> I was just like talking and like I could see on your face where like you were just like this. And then as soon as I stopped talking, you're like, yeah, anyway. So what I was trying to fucking say before you were talking about like Kurgan and a Black Lives Rally march. Like who cares? I'm sorry. I mean, no, not who cares. That's great that he was there. That's awesome to know that Kurgan... Supports Black Lives Matter. Well, he's got but, a black. Uh, uh, he's got a black child. Oh, how do you know so much about Kirk? He lives in New Brunswick, man. He's from New Brunswick. Really? Yeah. Oh, and he was in. What? Why wasn't he at the Maritimes Wrestling Federation we went to? Does he not wrestle anymore? Uh, no, he's like a. He's like in movies and shit. He was like in Sherlock Holmes and like Three Hundred and stuff. So I don't think Kurgan. Kurgan is. Yeah. He's like a. He's like a stuntman in or like a featured actor in like. Hollywood dude when the oddities were featured in wwe i think they were probably my favorite faction at the time i want to get kurgan on the podcast and just ask him about like what it was like to be in the wwe during the attitude era hanging out with john tenta and his cartman doll icp luna vashon yes i want to hear all this stuff and you know who <laughs> but anyways you know who'd be into that your older brother the juggalo true we should, well he's that's the previous juggalo now just older brother <laughs> please go back and listen to the other episodes thank you so much but yeah so i yeah just seeing evil with the two belts and ishimori as sort of a henchman and also dick togo like i i i when dick togo debuted did not know who don't didn't know who he was uh had to look had to look up well you were just like, like you know, oh mark history. we didn't talk about the main event uh dick togo versus and i was like oh my god like yeah Good thing we went back for he, this one. He was sick in this match. Yeah. He's in good shape. Like, yeah, he... yeah he. Bullet Club he is looks thr- like... He's dominating and threatening. And with the combination of sort of his power with Ishimori's speed and then Evil's sort of presence... I I, I don't know. Well, the one thing that I guess I, I fear is that all of Evil's matches are going to be aided by the two of them. The, like the, they'll he'll win every time because of the two of them. Well, the thing that I fear is that they'll overbook those matches because Evil is not that good. As, that's as what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's <laughs> yeah, bro. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, like the same thing I just said. <laughs> I don't think it was exactly what you just said. You no, said they're going to interfere all the time, and I was like, yes. Okay, it is the same thing, but... That was my implication in my head. Yeah. I guess you articulated it a little better than I did. Oh, thank you so uh, much. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, but yes, no, totally. I know what you, I know exactly what you mean. And I hope it's not a lackluster... Because like you said, like when I... Well, you didn't say it, but what, like we were talking about, we expect the IWGP champion to be like the one of the best wrestlers in the world. And we expect their matches to be incredible. The, the the best and after and we're about we're gonna talk about Wrestle Kingdom ten in a second but like after watching that main event I don't see evil putting on a match like that main event yeah, Wrestle Kingdom ten absolutely and I don't know yeah I I I'll be interested to see I think at Sengoku Lord evil probably wins right or do you think Hiromu becomes triple champion I, he would hold Hiromu would hold every belt basically except the never belt if, that if they're just like hot shotting the IWGP <laughs> right now like I'm gonna get a lot less interested in 
New Japan. They're not. I don't think that's going to no, happen. I what I so. the 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 way that match probably will play out is Hiromu will look cre- Hiromu looked like a beast in this uh, this match. Like him and Naito and Bushi wrestle those three out to the ground. Hiromu's up on the apron, does a diving dropkick on all three of them, and is just like Hiromu is killing it and i think gonna take evil to the distance like i think we'll get a great match out of evil here yeah. this weekend i hope so but i think probably it's going to end with interference from bullet club um and hopefully that's not the sort of uh framework for every single match that evil puts on as the iwgp double champion would like to see him pull out banger matches uh like we've seen on wrestle kingdom 10 yeah we went back and watched wrestle kingdom 10 which I feel like I have to go back and watch nine, but I I really like like love the idea of watching some of this basically classic era of of New Japan and seeing a little these feuds fleshed out between people like Naito and Okada and Tanahashi um, and understanding it a little bit more. And this was a great great event front to back. Like has to be one of the best events I've ever seen. And I'm told that eleven front to back is even better. So I'm excited to watch that. Yeah, we definitely have to go back. I think the way that we'll do that is I'll randomly recommend you matches for our classic match segment from different Wrestle Kingdoms. And I guess I'll do it in order so to, you know, keep so we're watching them in order. I don't want it to be so programmatic though. I feel like we should just we should just watch these Wrestle Kingdoms on slow weeks and as then, we do. And then you can recommend me other matches because Yes, that's a good call. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, this mat this for the first match of Wrestle Kingdom 10 that we watched, we kind of skipped around. We didn't watch the New Japan Rumble, and there were a few other matches that we skipped. But the very first match for Wrestle Kingdom 10 that we watched was the Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship. And I mentioned this to both you and Thomas, but this match, every single time there's a big match in NXT or AEW, maybe mostly NXT War Games, do they just go back and look at this match? <laughs> I feel like this was the model for the... NXT ladder match, even though there are no ladders in this. And seeing people like uh, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, uh, Matt and Nick Jackson, Ricochet, and yeah, the all these like huge spots. Maybe Best friend, well, Trent, yeah. Trent and Rocky. Maybe because I've seen so many of those matches, but uh, this wasn't my favorite match on the card. Like, I thought it was awesome, but it wasn't like, it didn't absolutely blow me away. Maybe because I, I've seen all those matches, it's influence. But it was incredible. No, never right was. yeah i've i've seen this match a few times but i actually never really had that thought a, a lot of times i put i'll put the old wrestle kingdoms on the back of my ground when i'm drawing excuse me so i don't know maybe i just haven't totally noticed because i kind of just i was packing orders and watching this with you guys and i think because i was doing that i was wa- watching the whole thing basically rather than drawing and watching it and yeah it's just interesting seeing the different spots that I, I mean, I would guess probably, maybe it's the way that, that, that I presented this and said, kind of said this is like, oh, NXT is ripping off New Japan. But I think probably the origin of all of this is all of these people being in PWG because all of these crazy spots all, you know, started there. All of those people wrestled there. Yeah. But yeah, we a lot of those spots, like in the North American ladder match where like Adam Cole is going around doing super kicks and everybody, the Bucks do that spot. Uh, the multi-man suplex that happens in war games, you know, a lot, a lot of those things happen throughout this match. I love that the Bucks at this point are still saying "suck it," and <laughs> and also like at one point they take 
somebody's hand hands and like make them do the suck it. Oh yeah, yes. Triple H sign. That was so funny. Yeah, this match just had a great wild energy and it reminded me a lot of the I talked about on I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago. I think it was two weeks ago, uh that I went back and watched some Smoky Mountain New Jack matches. Yes. The energy of this was similar to the tag matches that the Gangsters and Rock and Roll Exp- uh, Express had in Smoky Mountain. Just very chaotic energy, like tons of uh, camera cuts in a good way because there's like so much stuff going on. And yeah, it, it, it was a great match. I really enjoyed watching it. Uh, maybe one of my favorite matches that we watched of this night, actually. Yeah. Uh, I, would, yeah. I would say that... I mean, we know what my favorites were, but this Kushida Omega match was pretty awesome. Yes. Yeah, it was cool. It's cool watching this again now after seeing Kushida rip it up in the Cruiserweight tournament. And then we just know Omega's work so well. Like, Kushida's not someone I'm super familiar with uh, in general as a wrestler. So it's cool kind of to go back and have context for both people and know that it's going to be wild. Taguchi is Doc Brown running around at ringside. <laughs> that was so good. Who is Marty McFly? Oh, K- Kushida is. Like he that's oh. that's, that's his gimmick. He's a time traveler. Okay. He wears the he wears like the orange vest and I'm oh, sorry, Dodoy. Time time splitter, I think. Uh but yeah, uh, this this match I felt was uh, as you and I are I would say the the thing that you and I are most critical of I would think across everything is matches with too much interference. Yeah, like if we went back and kind of thought about the matches over the last like ten weeks that we've been the most critical of, I would say the matches that are overbooked with too many too many outside interference, not enough just like in ring action like a Naito versus Goto of this night or like Kushida versus Omega. But Kushida versus Omega, I would I feel is like a good example of a match with a lot of outside interference that really worked to the match and sort of added to it. Like I loved at the beginning with the, the uh, bucks throws a trash can of Kushida's head. <laughs> and then Kenny does a, a, a moonsault holding the uh, trash can onto Kushida right after that. Well, and they, uh, the bullet club, they were also interfering in the match that we'd watched prior. Before. Yeah. Right. Uh, what was his name? That Scott Hall's guy. son, Cody Hall. Yes. Cody, oh my god, that was one of the best spots. He like did a huge um, razor's edge through a table. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. But uh, yeah, um, the Bullet Club. Yeah, I, I I liked their presence. I liked them as like chaotic, chaotic evil sort of energy in all these matches. And then and the, yeah, with this match, Taguchi's running around in Doc Brown wig. <laughs> I don't know. I just like I, I added so much to it, and I don't know if it's just that. Like because Kenny Omega and Kushida both are so good, yeah, that having these other instances of chaos worked around their crazy spots and moves, like yeah. works really well. It kind of adds it adds a layer of atmosphere and chaos in a nice way. Yeah. Also, it was it's not the main event of the night. It's like True. A, it's a mid card yeah. match. Like was it, was it it was for the junior heavyweight title though. I'm so. not, I'm not trying to. Uh diminish the importance of the junior heavyweight <laughs> this is where all of our favorite guys come from it's true i gotta say the kintaro crusher i think is one of my favorite non-finisher moves i had this thought twice kenny's kintaro crusher and cody when he does that drop down on his back and punches and the guy punch up 
I love both of those moves so much. Do you have a a, fin- a non-finisher move like that that's kind of just like in a, someone's arsenal that you really like a lot? Oh, damn. You're putting me on the spot, John. I mean, I randomly had this thought twice this week, so I was wondering if you... Like, uh, Kenny's Kentaro Crusher just looks so good. And then, yeah, the way Cody drops down like that, like, I don't know if it's... That's a... a uh, I just, an homage to Dusty or an homage to Dustin, as Goldust did that move too. It's a, it's and it's Dusty. Is it Dusty? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the legacy. They all do it. Um, yeah. I honestly like one of the first things I thought of was just not necessarily like a great move, but just people hitting off moves perfectly. Like when Dustin Rhodes hits a power slam off the ropes. Yes. And when Okada hits that huge like hang time drop kick. Mm-hmm. and like nails the guy like right oh in the man face. okada's dropkick yeah that's like yeah it's like a dunk from jordan for sure um i love i love luchasaurus's uh roundhouse kicks but i'm trying to think of something like like a transitional move yeah i'm trying to think of something like that oh my gosh wish i just had a yeah. list of wrestlers right now to look at <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can't even think i i don't know what that would be yeah i like in my mind what i would guess it would be for you i'm not sure uh i'm looking at wwe and that's not gonna spark anything right now because they make all their guys stop doing their best moves like Sami Zayn has been robbed of like his 10 best moves at wwe oh yeah you just sent me that article a little bit ago but anyways uh to give you some time to think that this mat the the iwgp heavyweight match junior heavyweight match was so fun to watch so sick and pictured ringside is young lion switchblade and young lion juice robinson yes uh, which uh we see switchblade icing kenny omega's neck later in the in the night yeah and speaking of other transitional moves i love juice's strikes where he screams his name is another one that i absolutely love where he's he's the crowd screams juice along with him and then at like it's like six punches in a row and then he'll scream like okada and then Throw the final punch. Uh-huh. I love that. So good. Dude, and seeing uh, the following match after this was Naito versus Goto. And that was a really fun match. Uh, Evil at the start of (laughs) Naito's entrance, uh, shooting lasers out into the crowd. (laughs) We were like, fucking evil. Like he's not just going to backstab Naito four years later. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. And then the double main event of this I will, uh, was AJ Styles versus Nakamura and then the IWGP Heavyweight Championship versus Tanahashi and Okada. Styles and Nakamura okay. crushed. I have to go back and watch Okada Tanahashi because it was a long day and it was like midnight by the time we were finishing that and I was a little bit burnt out. These these New Japan events can burn out for a separate reason, uh, which is just that the quality is so high and they're so long and they're so emotional. That when you watch like five hours, and even us, we just watched like three hours. But I was a little bit, I was a little bit burnt out by um, Okada Tanahashi. But Nakamura AJ Styles is one of my favorite matches of all time. Um, they're just both so good. They they have such chemistry together. Watching them work each other, um, yeah, it's just like a pleasure. Yeah, my I mean my match of this night, you so your match of the night w- would be Nakamura Styles. Yes, but then. I'm I am. Like, I'm saying I should probably go back and watch Okada Tanahashi because I'm sure that I undervalued it. Yeah, I mean, that... I absolutely loved that match. And 
we've seen a lot of good wrestling over these last two months. Since we've been doing this podcast, we've watched a lot of wrestling, watched a lot of classic matches, but I don't know, man, the, the crowd in this match. And you know what? This is why I was aghast at Meltzer's rating of the eye for an eye match. <laughs> it got four stars. This match only got five. This got five stars, which is his best rating. And you, you joked that oh, an A plus is a good. No, no, job. no, no, no. Because you and Thomas were in the group chat, and you were so seriously being like, he only gave it five out of five. Like, that's too low. And I was like, yeah, that is too low. A hundred percent is too low. Like, and like he hadn't even broken his scale yet. I think he did actually do it in the eighties, um, but he hadn't done it in like twenty years. And you guys were just genuinely so mad that he hadn't uh, broken his scale for that. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, going back to it, it's been a minute since I've seen, uh, since I watched any of the Okada Omega matches. But I, in my mind, those match, this match is as good as that match. I absolutely loved at the start of this match. You and I synced up our rice treats. Oh yeah, I was eating a um, a mochi. I- I sent to the group chat that I was eating a red bean paste rice treat in celebration of the main event. I had a mochi got, rice treat got also with red bean paste in the freezer. Hadn't eaten them for a while, and we uh, we virtually cheersed. It was great. While, uh, yeah. while Thomas was just very sadly eating, uh, I assume, curry from uh, what's-his-face. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you have to go back and watch this. Uh, I absolutely I was exhausted. loved I was exhausted. every single second of this match. And it's just a great like encapsulation of how a crowd adds to the match. Okada's spinning tombstone is just such a impeccable move. And the tombstone spinning tombstone he throws down in this, it's so insane. It's so good. I think I'm, I'm spoiled for great Okada matches for sure. And I think that historically, this is a very interesting event because as I pointed out, it seems to be the moment where it goes from the top guy is Tanahashi to the top guy is Okada. It's like a passing of the torch because the year before rest kingdom nine, they had fought in the main event and Tanahashi had won. So, even though Okada was like, you know, the biggest new thing he had, he had accomplished so much in his like basically first year back from the excursion. He still wasn't on the level of like the ace of new Japan. And by beating him in the main event of rest kingdom 10, he solidified the Okada era, which to my mind is still going on. Yes, it absolutely is. And I think maybe that's the other thing that like watching it, knowing everything we know up to this point, about both performers, everything they've done between 2016 and 2020, everything that's happened before that, almost like going back and watching it now, like it adds a lot to it. It's like, oh, there's this, it's the person that carried New Japan through its dark years, Tanahashi, versus the person who has helped establish New Japan as an international, internationally known, internationally watched wrestling promotion, Okada, converging at a time where they're both at the top of their game, I loved it. One of my favorite matches that we've watched together this year. Speaking of how strong this card is, the match here that is, you know, arguably the third best match on the card uh, absolutely blew me away. It was John's classic match suggestion. It is, of course, Tomohiro Ishii versus 
Katsuyori Shibata from this, in fact, Wrestle Kingdom 10. From the jump, these two beasts are throwing hands, slapping each other like dual E-Hondas from Street Fighter, and just anticipating each other's every move, every kick, every strike. There's no love lost here, Shibata kicking and pushing Tomo while he's down. But soon, the tables are once again turned, and Tomo is kicking Shibata in the back. And before you know it, they're going kick for kick, standing up, sitting down, taking turns kicking each other in the back. This lasts for about five strikes each. This is a match of strength, Shibata proving he can take multiple Ishii slaps to the chest. Shibata's taken down by the fifth slap, but then kips up and immediately decks Ishii. Soon Shibata takes to the air like Liu Kang and soccer kicks Ishii in the chest. Shibata starts to stretch Ishii, and when Tomo heads for the ropes, he puts him in a spider variation that locks Tomo's heads with his leg. But Tomo manages to make the ropes. Shibata has Tomo sitting in the corner and continues to drive his boot into Tomo's face. He punishes him with a punch to the face chop combo, but Ishii is back, pushing Shibata forward with each hit. The stone pitbull has awakened, and now it's Shibata stuck on his ass in the corner, getting his receipts for every single kick to the face. But Shibata is up once again and neither man will back down. They exchange dropkicks and are both completely spent in the middle of the ring. Shibata works to get an armbar on Ishii, but Ishii tries to reverse. But soon Shibata gets in a deadly triangle before Tomo finds the ropes. Shibata is targeting Ishii's weakened left arm with kicks. Now it's a big boot from Shibata versus the lariat from Ishii. Back and forth, back and forth. Now back and forth on German suplexes. And once again, they're both down in the middle of the ring. Back up, Ishii slaps Shibata, and he's really starting to feel it, and can't keep answering with his kicks. Ishii takes advantage with a powerbomb to a standing pin. Two count for Ishii. Ishii has Shibata on the top rope, but Shibata has Ishii's arm. He can't quite lock in the armbar, so he jumps off the ropes and takes Ishii's arm with him. But then Ishii dropkicks Shibata in the back. Shibata is back on his feet to get a huge lariat from Ishii to a one count! Sliding lariat from Ishii to Shibata's face brings him down for a two count. Tomo is in control for just a moment until Shibata reverses a suplex into his own. Neither man will give an inch this entire match. Sometimes the crowd yells, fight forever, but this time it looks like they might literally fight forever. Death Valley driver from Shibata, but Ishii kicks out at two. Soon Shibata has Ishii on the ground in a sleeper. Ishii's trying to get up slowly before he fades. He's back up. Shibata serves him a boot to the chest and another to the back, but Ishii hits him in the solar plexus with a diving headbutt that puts them both down. Suddenly, they are exchanging sickening, thudding headbutts. Dropkick from Shibata. Ishii's down. Running kick from Shibata to a sitting Ishii. One, two, three! This match was absolutely wild. My my fingers were tapping yeah, out dude. every movement as it was happening because it was so intense. I, it was like war of attrition. Like neither man would back down just like more and more. Uh, it was crazy. How can a wrestling card be this good? I don't know. Like you can't like each, each of the three, those three, even, even throwing in the, super, the junior heavyweight too. All four of those matches are incredible matches in their own. I will say that those three, Shibata Ishii, Tanashi Okada, Styles Nakamura, on the same but card... But it's like, how can you not in also include Kushida Omega in that? Right. That is such an incredible representation of the best 
professional wrestling on the planet. It's insane how good that Wrestle Kingdom 10 is. If you're listening and you've not watched Wrestle Kingdom 10, I implore you to go back and watch it, especially these the yeah, four matches you, we just mentioned. If you could only watch like a few of them, you know, we've we've outlined some of the best ones and I can't wait to watch more of these Wrestle Kingdoms. Like go back and watch 9 but also watch 11, 12. I want to see some of these huge matches that I've never seen that like really color a lot of the stuff that we're watching today. Absolutely. Mark, what is your classic match recommendation for me this week? I can't wait. Is this something from TNA? Is this something from Ring of Honor? What is it? It is not Maybe from WWE. It is not from TNA. It is not from Ring of Honor. It is not from WWE. Is Samoa Joe in it? Samoa Joe is not in this match. All right. I wanted to do a special one today because it's the 10th episode. So I want to recommend a follow-up to a match that you've already watched. So you watched a match at the Chi-Town Rumble in February of 1989 where Steamboat pinned Flair to capture his first ever NWA world title. Well, they met again at Clash of Champions 6 on April 2nd, which was opposite WrestleMania 5 in a two out of three falls match that lasts 55 minutes. And this, this John is your classic match. Part two of the trilogy of Ric Flair, Ricky. Steele. Oh man, I can't wait. Yeah. Well, as you, as we mentioned in the last time that I, you assigned me to watch a Ric Flair match, he's not someone that I ever was a big fan of and never really connected with as a kid, as a viewer of wrestling. Um, I'm an Al Snow guy, so uh, <laughs> I'm a head man. You know, <laughs> I love head. Uh, <laughs> I um, so I'm really excited to watch this because I loved Flair versus Steamboat one, and it was incredible. And I want to, I want to space these out a little bit, and um, yeah, I just uh, I, I, is it pro- it's probably been over a month since I watched the other that's one. That's right. right. And I jokingly refer to it as the original greatest trilogy in the history of wrestling, but I'm actually trying to make a case for this that this is kind of like the eighties version of Omega Okada. So as we are talking about like, you know, Omega or Okada Tanahashi and stuff like that, I want to bring back into the conversation, uh, these, these greats from the past. I feel like that's the seeds of a analysis article for the Nexus issue of torture act. Absolutely. Should we do, uh, on the next episode of torture act GCW homecoming part one and two. Whoa, those were crazy, man. Can you believe all the fire? <laughs> I was doing. I don't the, get the bit. I was doing like the like. <laughs> there's a sneak peek from the from the next. Oh episode. oh my god! Like it's like at the end of Arrested Development. Yeah yeah like, yeah. Exactly. Hundred percent. Exactly like that. On the next episode of Torture Racked, dude, Schlock had a chainsaw. <laughs> and he just was sawing each other's people's limbs off and beating them with the limbs. <laughs> Man, GCW is really hardcore. Uh, but yeah, next week we will be talking about that and uh, a little bit more. Dynamite, Dynamite. and Flare Steamboat and Sengoku Lord and probably some other stuff too. Thanks to everyone that's been tuning in. Uh, all the uh, new listeners now that we've launched the podcast, we uh, really appreciate everybody listening uh, and the feedback that we've gotten so far on the episodes. Absolutely. You can find more content at torturerack.com. This has been another episode of the Torture Act Podcast. You can follow my co-host, John F. Malta, at John F. Malta on all social media. 
And you can follow me, Mark Basque, at Waste of Taste on Instagram. You can follow us at Torture Act on Instagram. Episode 10, Johnny. I love it. We're, we're charting. We're charting on the charts. We are above Raven in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. You love to see it. Fuck you, Raven. <laughs> <laughs>